You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and I can't believe that 2024 marks 10 years of podcasting. Over the last decade, I have had the pleasure of talking with hundreds upon hundreds of passionate outdoors men and women who share the same excitement for hunting as I do. Whether you hunt public lands or private property, shoot traditional archery equipment or high-powered rifles, we all have one thing in common, and that's our love for the great outdoors. This year, I plan on continuing that tradition and bringing educational and entertaining content to your ears. Thank you for your continued support, and I hope you all have the best seasons of your life. Good vibes in, good vibes out. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast as we continue this No Foreplay series. And we're getting right into it today with Troy Pottinger. Now, if you don't know Troy, Troy hunts pressured deer herds, right? Whether that's human pressure, whether that's apex predator pressure like grizzly bears, wolves, mountain lions, bobcats. He hunts in that, that environment out in northern Idaho, and he runs into really good deer every single year, but he's got a certain way of doing it because of the pressure that he ends up running into every year, whether that's human pressure or predator pressure. And so I thought it would, it would be really interesting for him to come on and talk about his experience hunting pressured whitetails in that environment and then comparing it to some of the other environments that he hunts in most recently Ohio of how he attacks the, the pressured, I guess you would call it mature whitetails who have been pressured or have consistent amounts of pressure put on them throughout a, a given year. And so it's a real quick to the point episode, like all of these foreplay episodes are, no foreplay episodes are. And so uh, I just want to say thank you for taking time out of your day to hop on and uh, listen. If, if, you could, if you guys could do me a favor, go and uh, 
mean, leave me a five-star review on iTunes, on uh, Spotify, wherever you download. Let everybody know that this is a badass podcast. Um, and then also make sure you guys are following the Nine Finger Chronicles and uh, Sportsman's Empire and Full Sneak Gear on the social media platforms as well. So I, I'd really appreciate that. Before we get into today's episode, though, we're going to do a quick commercial break it's going to be real quick no foreplay style and that is if you're looking for a, a saddle or saddle hunting accessories go check out tethered uh, they have some new gear that has just launched via the ata show so go check out that wasparchery.com if you're looking for in my opinion uh, one of the best broadheads on the market go check out wasparchery.com discount codes nfc20 for 20 percent off and uh, most of their heads are made in America. Vortex Optics, that's a no-brainer, right? Uh, by now, if you're in the hunting space and you follow hunting content, you should know about Vortex Optics and how superior they are compared to a lot of the other brands on the market. Uh, VortexOptics.com, go take a look at that. Uh, Code Blue Sense. Uh, these guys have scent-free sprays. They have real and synthetic deer urine. They have uh, the Ropadope preorbital gland system that I'm a huge fan of. They also have a discount code, NFC20, for 20% off, uh, codebluesense.com. The Woodman's Pal, if you're looking for a very durable, very tough, very well-built habitat tool, it's similar to a machete. Chopping branches, chopping weeds, uh, hacking dirt and rocks, and you know whatever the case may be, uh, this tool is perfect for your truck or your pack. So go check out WoodmansPal.com. And then next on the list is Huntworth. In my opinion, Huntworth has some of, if not the best, layering systems. A layering system for hunting camo, hunting clothing on the market, and it's more affordable than what I guess you, if you're going to compare it to the elite brands. So go check out HuntworthGear.com. Uh, check out all of these brands, uh, and if you do, do decide to buy, let them know that uh, you heard this commercial, and that way they can justify continuing to spend money on me. So I really appreciate that. Uh, Tethered Wasp, Vortex, Code Blue, Woodman's Pal. Huntworth, of course, my new brand, FullSneakGear.com. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. And last but not least, well, there is no last but not least. I do that at the end. Anyway, let's get into today's No Foreplay episode with Troy Pottinger. Three, two, one. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of No Foreplay. And today I'm joined by Troy Pottinger. And I wanted to bring him on today to talk about deer behavior because he has, he hunts in some different environments in the course of his career, his hunting career, he has hunted a whole bunch of different environments for white-tailed deer. And so I want to kick off a very high-level question for you, Troy, and that is, are there, are there any similarities in deer behavior in all of the environments that you've hunted do they do do they always do a certain thing or do they not always do a certain thing i'll, I'll let you take it from here yes dan to answer your question i i think the key denominator is pressure so i've hunted all over 
And of course, for your listeners, I live in the Northwest, so I hunt Idaho, Washington public land every year. But I just got back from Ohio and a good example of that key denominator of pressure was when we went to Ohio, Ty and I, my boy, we were able to hunt some private pieces that didn't hardly have any pressure at all. But as soon as I got on the private pieces that had a ton of pressure earlier this year, I saw extremely close similarities in the older, mature buck behavior that I see out west. I've seen a lot of the same similarities in those older bucks that have been highly pressured, yes. Okay, so you're saying that the key indicator in deer behavior is the amount of pressure that is on that herd. If I had to pick one denominator overall that trumps everything, if I had to pick one, and there's multiple, and I'm not saying it's the only one, but if I had to pick the one that trumps everything, I would say the amount of pressure that's been put on a buck, especially a buck that's been around for several years, I think that is the key, is the amount of pressure he gets, yes. Yeah, Uh, I can't help but agree with that. Now, when it comes to... Let's just get into this pressure thing a little bit. And let's say um, you got your eyes on a deer and now there now there is some pressure applied to this buck. What is the result of the pressure? How does their behavior change? Well, I just think they become much more calculated in their movements. They learn, especially older deer, through years of stimulus response negative stimulus, positive stimulus response to it. They learn over these years when they get a negative stimulus that has either scared them or spooked them or put them in danger in the past, they learn to gravitate away from that immediately and go where they feel the safest. Okay. Now I have heard uh, other guys in the past and I have seen this uh, not a lot, but a little bit in in my career and i want to hear your thoughts on this is when uh when a specific maybe a group of deer or let's say you're going into a bedding area or you're going into an area where not just a mature buck lives but a group of deer live not an entire herd but just like a small maybe a doe group or something like that and there's some pressure they don't leave they just sit tight until dark and then they apply they go through the same pattern or the same pattern of movement just nocturnally is that something that you have witnessed as well 100% yes i witnessed it on this trip in ohio over a 10 day period when the when the pressure was applied the oldest does and the smartest oldest and i'll just the big bucks that get targeted like guys are trying to kill them because of their headgear which were a couple deer I got on and was really working hard to kill one of them. They just were very nocturnal in their movements. And I had to dive in pretty deep to even get in the game with the one I wanted to kill on the last two days and literally just ran out of time. In my opinion, I I got him figured out and I had him at 60, 70 yards on my last day in the daylight. I just needed another day or two. But what I learned from that whole week experience and I'm saying eight days in the woods straight, 
of scouting my tail off and only hunting the evenings because of what pressure was doing to the deer I was trying to kill. And I had two deer picked out uh, that I wanted to try to kill after five days. That pressure is was my biggest obstacle to overcome, 100% on there. They were literally bedding and barely moving at all. Yeah. And I had to... I had to get myself in a position where I could be in the daylight with the dude that I wanted to kill. Now, could I have killed younger bucks? Uh, did we have other deer around the whole time? Yes. Uh, even a less caliber buck that was older, that was in a less pressured piece of ground. Uh, my buddy actually shot him yesterday after we gave him the GPS coordinates to him, uh, who was doing just as old a buck that I opted out of because I was after a different buck. He was doing more daylight stuff because he had less pressure on that piece of ground. Okay. Now, once a deer becomes pressured, right. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, you, you use some trail camera data to help you identify deer movement, correct? Yeah. Trail camera and a ton of glassing when we were in Ohio, a okay. ton of glassing. All right. Now yep. is that same strategy applied to your mountain public land spots by where you live in Idaho? More trail camera because the forests are so big and vast. You can't, the glass doesn't really do any right. justice for you. Okay. All right. So are you, are you getting, uh, I'll just cut to it. Do you, do you have cell camera data where you can get accurate accurate intel when we went to ohio we did yeah okay when we went to ohio we had all cell cam data but in the mountains it's spotty so i have to play the game of where i can get service and where i can't gotcha okay all right so this is kind of leading me to my next question and and that is how do you make your adjustments from a strategy standpoint once maybe you've pressured deer or you're going into an environment you know especially public land who knows who's stomping around there how do you make your strategy changes once you've identified that deer have made an adjustment to their movement based off of pressure i always try to move with them or try to get a step ahead of them of where i believe they're going to move to where there's less pressure okay a lot of that out in the west yes okay all right. And I try to pick them up, Dan, at locations I believe they would move to. A lot of it's based on terrain. A lot of it's based on my scouting. A lot of it's just based on doing this for 30-plus years of yeah. where I think they might bail to. Yes. Yeah. I call them hideouts that they go to. All right. So now this leads us to a, a kind of a secondary question off of this, this uh, theme that we're running with today, deer behavior. What do... And where do big bucks go? Like, what do big bucks do and where do they go once they've been either bumped? Like, for me, I I have, I, I kind of live and die by this theory I've made up where it's, I call it a soft bump and then a hard bump. A hard bump is me walking into a bedding area. A buck is downwind of me. He smells me. He sees me. He hears me. He's gone. Right. And then we have a soft bump where I drive my truck up to the field edge and I check a trail camera and maybe I bump him out of his bed because he's close, but it's just a truck running. He's used to the uh, farm equipment, things like that. And so that he rebounds back to a natural movement 
fairly quickly, if not same day. And so the, uh, I want to know what you feel or what you've witnessed in the past big bucks do and where they go once they've been pressured. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, and I think you do a really good job of breaking that down. There is a soft bump and a hard bump for sure, and kind of an in-between. The big bucks that get hard bumped in my country, it's either a wolf, a lion, or me mm-hmm. screwing something up, um, or a predator. Midwest, like in Ohio, the the hard bump would have been like day one. Ty and I did not care about hard bumping a bunch of deer off an 85-acre piece with a big ridge. We got them out of their beds. Um, but we still broke it down. Oh, that they saw us, but they didn't smell us. Or they smelled us, but they didn't lay eyes on us. They definitely heard us on all of them. So we were taking all those factors of bumping into the equation. And in my opinion, when you bump up to that five-year-old age buck, everywhere I've been in my life, out of state, in state, doesn't matter. When you get to that five and six-year-old deer that have so much veteran uh experience under their belt so to speak hard bumps on those deer in the big country big west country out here they might move two to three miles Mm -hmm. because they have the country dan they have unlimited country to move in go to the midwest or back in ohio like we were limited ground limited big blocks of timber to move to we saw those deer reload even on a hard bump more than we see out west Mm -hmm. they would reload might take them three or four days to get them back where we initially did a hard bump soft bumps we were on the e-bikes we purposely rode our e-bikes in and parked in the timber in in ohio uh kept our profile of our body down on the handlebars so they just think it's a chunk of farm equipment they don't think it's a human hiking in we noticed that those soft bumps hardly even affected the deer when we did all those little things yeah. Okay. And so in in Ohio, you don't have grizzly bears. You don't have wolves. All right. You don't have, you're, you're probably not dealing with, I'm sure there are, but as many predators that you have up, up there. Do you feel that the term pressure changes with the kind and amount of pressure? Because here's here's what my gut is telling me and i want you to tell maybe maybe you're right or wrong you know uh, and there's a whole bunch of layers to this uh to this onion that we that we could go through but if a deer is used used to used to be being attacked by ki- or uh, grizzly bears or wolves or chased down by mountain lions they it's almost like they have a backup plan where if something like all of a sudden a pack of wolves came through a farm in Iowa, the deer had never seen them before. They don't know how to react to them. Do you think that 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 there's certain types of pressure that is weighted more than other types of pressure? Absolutely. 
response stimulus to death, near-death experiences, possibly weekly. Yeah. Especially in the winter versus non-near-death experiences maybe, or most of the time, and maybe one or two near-death experiences the whole year for deer that don't have the apex predators. So, yes, yeah. okay. there are different big-time different layers and responses to extreme pressure. I've got bucks that literally get shredded by mountain lions across their chest and back, and they get away. They get their ears bit off. Um, you can't tell me that that doesn't scare the living hell out of them to the point where when I speak about these mountain deer and hunting them, when I say they're crackheads, they walk around their entire life on eggshells when they get older. Yeah. Rarely do you catch them feeling it at ease. Rarely do yeah. you see them at ease. Jump to where I just came from in Ohio. The biggest threat to the big Ohio bucks, the two that I really wanted to try to kill, and the one that I was actually in the game with at the very end. The biggest threat to him is me, a hunter, possibly a bunch of coyotes if he was sick, and that would be it. Yeah. It's amazing. Or a car. Or yeah. getting hit by a car. Yeah. It, it's absolutely amazing the deer behavior on pressured versus non-pressured. Or uh, the, the third thing that we haven't talked about yet is conditioned deer. Okay, so like mm -hmm. urban deer who are used to humans all the time and you can walk right up to them and, you know, in some of these environments or uh, the the one farm that I've been on is uh, it's a big, highly I've been on more than just one, but big, highly managed farm that is dedicated mm -hmm. to deer hunting. They have food all over the place. It's active. So they're they're farming it, too. They're out planting food plots and doing hinge cutting and things like that. And deer are coming out at like three in the afternoon to, to eat and anywhere else in the world that does not happen at all. And, and so, exactly. yeah. And so it, it's just, it's funny how deer react to that behavior. Now let's, let's take a step outside of the hunting season for a bit and and I'll bring up my experience, and then I'd like to hear yours. And that is in the summertime, right? I just tend to see more deer just out and about, running around. They're less, they're they're less spooked for some reason. They don't get it spooked as much. And that you know, I'm I'm talking about the Midwest. I'm talking about Iowa. Now, for some some the the leaves start falling off the tree. The vel the velvet comes off, and now you see this this change in in their behavior do you witness that out west as well i witness it only where mountains butt up against agriculture and people okay i will see that i will see that same type of scenario where deer let are a little more at ease okay but when i but dan as soon as i go to the big and i call it back country mm -hmm. no ag no cities, no towns, 10, 20, 30 miles in, at least at least 10 miles from a little town, mm -hmm. maybe down on a river somewhere. When you get into the true backcountry, big mountain woods, whitetails that I hunt the most, uh, year-round, never see them on the hoof ever driving into the timber. Maybe 
I might see one mature buck every five years cross the road on me in a daylight situation mm -hmm. in five years in the back country, like, like the kind of buck I'm looking for. Right. So it is heavily trail cam and scouting evidence for me reading the sign again. I mean, to me, to this day, big tracks mean everything to me, even in a scraper in the snow. Yeah. So trail cameras and, and woodsmanship in the big woods. Yeah. Okay. What about other, what about does? Would you, are they, are they KG2? Like, do they, are they that, still jumpy? They're pain in the ass. They're super cagey. They're super smart. And again, I'm talking the backcountry heavily predator areas. Those deer rarely even stand in a logging road for you to see them when you come around the corner. They're gone. When they hear that rig coming a mile away, they're already in the timber if they hear it coming. So you're around the heavy predator areas that I hunt. You rarely see a deer maybe once in a while a doe off the edge of the road and she bails yeah. as soon as she sees your rig yeah uh jump back to the agriculture slash mountain country again those deer are used to humans they have less predators because there's more humans around we still have the lions we still have the occasional wolf coming through always have the bears so they're different they are different in that my son and i always say it the ag slash mountain bucks are a little easier to kill in our opinion and they're still hard the old guys like that i target mm -hmm. than the true backcountry heavily predator deer yeah okay now how does all of this then tie into your hunting strategy on okay i know these deer are being chased by apex predators all year round how do you avoid becoming an apex predator and, and going into the woods to try to get within 25, 30 yards of these things? I usually have to kill all of my bucks outside of a three-week window every year, which I don't necessarily kill a lot of deer in the heart of the rut because I single out a buck. Okay. So, Dan, I usually have to kill him and get on him within 100 to 200 yards of his bed. Okay. That's how I'm killing him, and then I play a game with him. I throw in my scrapes deer at him, mm -hmm. and his DNA tells him, even in the summer, I got to go check this and see what's going on in my area. Yeah. Because they're very – these old bucks, too, are very territorial in the big woods. Yeah. And – and what that has taught me, Dan, and when I go to these other places, I know that if I lived in an Iowa or lived in an Ohio or lived in an Oklahoma uh, where I've hunted and really enjoyed it, if I lived there and wasn't there just for five to eight days, um, I know that I could target and I believe I would kill the best bucks that I had access to. Mm -hmm. I really do. Yeah. Because these mountain deer have taught me to be – I would say so detailed and precise on my how I go at them and how I attack them, entry, yeah. exit, finding them, everything. If, I hope that answers the question. Right, right. One of the last questions I have for you is how do you personally avoid being pressure on these deer? Um, that's a great question, and I have to do it out here all the time to even have a shot. Yeah. So my – 
my entries, my exits, my invasions into their safe zone, summertime, archer season opens August 30th. All of that has to be precise, detailed with wind. I like to use favorable weather conditions that help me. And if I screw it up at all, it's no different than a wolf or a lion bumping them. They move on me and they move a long ways. Uh, I really have to treat everything like I'm trying to kill him every time I go in, even if it's setting a trail camera. Yeah. I have to treat everything with precision. Yeah. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Well, hey, we're done. That's quick. To the point. Uh, and so Troy, man, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on and talk about pressure and deer behavior with us. And, uh, I look forward to chatting with you again, man. All right. Uh, thanks for having me, Dan.